Hello and welcome to Hacked Off. In today's episode, I want to talk about TravelX, or or maybe a little broader about, about ransomware and how some attacks work, the media response following an attack, those kinds of things. But with TravelX being so significant this year, I think it at least needs mentioning. So if you somehow haven't followed the news for the last couple of weeks, TravelX has been uh, compromised in, in quite a significant way. Oh, what's essentially happened is um, on the 31st of December 2019, uh, they were hit by ransomware. Following that, they've had uh, a couple of weeks of, of some difficult recovery. Um, as it stands, as I'm talking today, their, their services are still unavailable. They still have a, a message on their website to say that they don't have uh, all of their services back up and running. Um, we'll get to some of their uh, quotations, some of their public statements in a second. But in short, hit by ransomware significant ransom being uh, requested, currently $6 million, but that has increased recently. So where to start? Where to start with with ransom attacks? I know we've talked about ransomware previously on this podcast, but I want to uh, throw a few a few different ideas out there and, and a little bit more about how, uh, how it works from the company's point of view and how it works from the, the media's point of view, because I, I think they are quite, quite different. Uh, firstly, I've seen Seen a lot of different news organizations and even TravelX themselves um, conflating some different terminologies. That, that's worth uh, briefly mentioning. Um, referring to the ransomware as as a virus, you see um, certainly on, on things like you know mainstream media, BBC, those kinds of things that they often do uh, get these terms uh, wrong. Conflate terms, you know, virus, Trojan, worm, ransomware, malware, those kinds of things. Um, so I'm, I'm not gonna not gonna dwell on any of that, but but you will see uh, different terminology used for this. I'll generically just refer to it as ransomware or malware for malicious software. Software, um, but yeah, that that's the thing that happens. Sometimes it can it can make the company's response appear a little bit mixed if they're if they're using um, terminology incorrectly or if, or if media's reporting on terminology incorrectly. Um, I think for the most part, it it doesn't matter so much. It's just hey, a bad piece of software, but. Um, it, it's maybe a bad thing from a company's response point of view if you're using terms, technical terms, incorrectly or if you're conflating terms, those kinds of things. I do I do remember back with the, the talk talk breach in 2015, um, there being a bit of a, a funny media response there around um, some of the, the pronunciation of terminology, those kinds of things. So uh, the, the CEO at the time referring to um, a sequential attack as opposed to SQL injection, as, as we would know it, or, or SQL injection, if you prefer. Um, so it's an important thing from a company point of view. Just make sure that if you're putting statements out, that those, those terms are correctly used, or if you're unsure or it's unimportant, then then avoid those. I, I would generally, like I said, just go with malware as the generic term. There's another conflation of terminology, which is um, how to refer to the actual attackers. Very often we'll see um, the attackers in this instance being referred to by the name of the malware, those those kinds of things. Um, different attacking groups, different groups of hackers can can use the same malware. The, the tools can be can be shared. So sometimes that's a bad thing to do just because it can conflate different attacks, whereas it might not have actually been the same people behind it. It's also a difficult thing when you talk about, you know, attribution, those kinds of things. There's uh, been some media response where 
the the media has allegedly um, quoted the attackers or who was believed to have been the the threat actor in this case. And and that's really important because attribution is difficult. It's possible that that these groups could um, claim an attack with, without any evidence. You know, if the if the media haven't done the due diligence, which we hope they have, but you know that 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 can be a difficult thing. But where to start from from the actual attack timeline, just to get the kind of uh, summary out of the way. <clears throat> uh, I mentioned that um, the ransomware aspect was deployed on December 31st. You'll, you'll see some people reporting that the, the attack started on December 31st. That isn't necessarily true, not, not just specifically of the Travelex breach, but thinking more broadly, um, an attacker, uh, a threat actor group could compromise an organization and then, and then sit on that compromise and just kind of dwell in the network until an inopportune moment. You can imagine that, you know, launching ransomware against an organization on a Friday evening would be bad. On New Year's Eve would be much worse. Companies operating on um, lower numbers of staff, you know, kind of skeleton crew, or even maybe um, just a large number of people being on leave, that kind of thing can make these things worse. Or, or even uh, picking specific times that are contextual to that organization. So if you're compromising a gambling company, for example, then, you know, uh, hitting them the, the day of the Grand National or something where it's just um, inopportune for them can can have a, a bigger impact. It can be uh, beneficial to the attackers. Um, beneficial to the attackers because they're more likely to get all of the steps of the compromise complete if they're trying to deploy ransomware to as many machines as possible. Picking times when there's less staff to respond around, that, that can be beneficial. Doesn't mean that's when the attackers started. They could they could have hacked in months ago. I've seen some references for specifically the Travelex breach or the, the alleged attackers claiming they hacked in five, six months ago, which would not be unusual. We, we do see very, very long um, timeframes for some attacks. I uh, don't think that's been confirmed yet, but it's it's not certainly not unusual, and it, and it's a thing for an organization to to bear in mind. The when when the attackers announce themselves, or, or when your organization hopefully detect the attackers, they could have been there for a while. It gets really really difficult when you consider things like log rotation. A really good example there was uh, when Google Plus's API was compromised. Um, Google had a, a difficult time there because their uh, their logs only went back a couple of weeks and it can mean working out what happened when and doing the kind of initial triage and then building up to to a full-on incident response can be really difficult when you, when you just don't have the, the logs. Of course, it would be nice to just say, well, detect the attackers faster, but if that was easy, everyone would do it, right? Um, but it's a thing to consider. Logs might not show everything if the attackers have been there for a while or proving the attackers haven't been there for a while can can be difficult without sufficient logs. Hopefully everyone's aware of that already, but it's, it's worth pointing out. Um, another thing with uh, logs as well, and another thing, broadly speaking, with, with ransomware attacks, a thing I've definitely been thinking about for a while, but we haven't seen a lot of it yet, is the idea that the uh, attackers could break in, steal data, and then ransomware an organization. And then this is kind of like a complex attack or, or a two-part attack. But the attackers have ransomware the organization, but also have some of their data to use as a leverage point. So they could say not only, you know, pay the ransom or you won't get access to your systems, but pay the ransom or we'll publicly release this data. This is something that's come up in the Travelex um, breach. They are continuing to say they have no evidence that data has been taken, but the alleged 
attacking group, the threat actors, uh, say they've got five gigabytes uh, of data. I always think five gigabytes, you know, specifically gigabytes is a strange unit of measure to use for these things, but it, but it's often often what's used. You know, five gigabytes of data, it could be any amount, really. But um, that, that's a, a thing to consider as well. Um, certainly when, when it gets into GDPR and fines and those kinds of things, which I'm, I'm not going to uh, go into detail on, but if personal data has been taken, then that there's an increased risk of, of um, fines or having to deal with the kind of ICO disclosure side of things. So something to consider. You know, how can you demonstrate following this kind of attack that personal data wasn't taken? And um, some of these statements as well, things like we have no evidence of, mm, can be can be difficult, you know. Do you have no evidence of because there is no evidence? you have no evidence because they didn't take anything? You know, it can be, can be quite difficult, but it's definitely a thing that, I think will um, possibly be, you know, like a prediction for the future. More attackers might perform these kinds of actions where they steal data and, and drop ransomware. We've seen it a couple of times, but it hasn't been as big as maybe it could be. So, yeah, things things to consider for organizations. <sighs> Logs, we know about that stuff already. Keep your systems up to date. We know about that stuff already. When it comes to keeping your systems up to date. I think one of the problems with with ransomware, and it's based on historic data, is um, a lot of people think, oh, you know, ransomware, that comes through malicious emails, right? It comes through malicious email attachments. Very often it does. Mal links, mal files attached to emails um, is one source of ransomware. But it isn't the only source. Anyone who's been following security news this last couple of weeks, there's been a series of, of VPN issues, VPN vulnerabilities that allow... You know, it's a pre-authentication vulnerability that allows you to overtake a VPN. Um, those kinds of vulnerabilities can be um, of prime value to attackers that that want to deploy ransomware or do similar attacks because it's a perimeter breach vulnerability. So an example, if you if you haven't seen that news, would be the um, Pulse Secure uh, remote access system, uh, which has had a vulnerability recently. It's been fairly well known. There is reports that um, Travelex did have uh, a vulnerable system at, at one point. So whilst that's not been confirmed as part of this attack, it, you know, it, it is directly relevant. Um, so yeah, so don't think of ransomware as uh, the attacker's only option. They could take data as well. It could become a complex attack. And don't think of, um, you know, phishing emails, those kinds of things. Things we talk about frequently is the only way that ransomware can get in. What else can attackers do then so other than ransomware i think one of the one of the really funny things and i, I saw it commented on on twitter actually which gave me the original idea was um why did the attackers choose ransomware so you gain access to a major organization and and travelex are a major organization based on essentially any metric that you pick they have what um seven and a half thousand employees something like that um they have a revenue of 730 million pounds that was 2018. A huge organization. Um, if if you think from the attacker's point of view, is ransomware the, the best option? Could they not have done, you know, fraud or something like that? Some some uh, bigger, more complex attack, something more directly monetizing, something subtler. Ransomware, of course, is, is a very loud attack. You deploy ransomware on an organization's systems, they know about it. But there is a lot of attacks that they could have chosen where the organization maybe wouldn't have noticed. Certainly, as mentioned earlier, if the attackers are in the, the network for, for months without being noticed, perhaps they could start to perform more complex attacks without being noticed. It, it's um, interesting from uh, 
you know, from the blue team, from the defensive team's point of view, saying, yes, in this example, this was ransomware. But when you're thinking of your own systems, what else could it have been? How else could the um, attackers have performed? And and also thinking, why ransomware, right? Why ransomware? I, I think one of the arguments for why ransomware is um, it's easier. That could be perceived as a comment about the um, threat actor group's technical capability, or it could just be about you know, path of least resistance. Give you a, a similar example, and maybe you can see what I mean. Um, if you compromise an individual's laptop, and you can gain access to all of their systems, webcams, files, emails, all of those kinds of things, um, as the attacker, what what's the best option for you to you know monetize this attack for to get the the full leverage out out of the attack? I think a lot of people are, are worried about things like um, attackers monitoring their webcams, and we've definitely seen that previously, and it's definitely a possibility. But a lot of times, the attackers just deploy ransomware and, and move on. Um, yeah, strange. It's strange. But again, like I say, I think um, it, it's just the easier option, either technically or just in terms of how quickly can we just monetize this attack, which is, of course, what a lot of attackers care about. What else to consider from an organization's point of view if, you, if you're looking at these breaches and saying, um, how would we have dealt with this? It's the media response um, following the breach. Obviously, it becomes public knowledge. We have to take systems offline. You're putting uh, a response out there that says, you know, we're, we're dealing with a breach. We're going to be unavailable for a while. And, and you want to come across as, you know, being in control, understanding it. You'll, you'll always see, of course, these kind of generic, um, we take security seriously. I know um, TravelX, for example, their CEO released a statement that said, um, we take very seriously our responsibility to protect the privacy and security of our partner and customer's data, as well as provide an excellent service to our customers, and we sincerely apologize for the inconvenience. Speaking of, of their recent attack, you, you always get these kinds of statements. But one of the difficulties for the, for the TravelX breach was initially when their website was taken down, um, the, the message that was displayed was, was one of... Um, planned maintenance. This site is down due to due to planned maintenance. And there was a, a bit of a kind of social media response to that in terms of like, you know, is this good enough? Is this um, confusing customers? You know, why have they picked this specific message? Could imagine from TravelX's point of view, that could have just been the default message. If we take our web server offline, that, that's what it says, right? Um, but it's a thing to consider as an organization that the, the reason that I bring it up now is if you haven't been breached, and hopefully if you're listening to this podcast, you haven't yet been breached, um, you can plan those responses ahead of time. You can think, you know, in the event of a breach, what message do we want to put out? And how would we get that message out there? If your web server has a default message uh, when the server becomes unavailable, you know, if, you're, if your um, system's presented a, a default planned maintenance message or something like that, you know, how do you quickly get the right message out to customers? And, and preparing ahead of time is definitely going to help. Um, even in the very least, having you know a checklist so these things don't get missed. Dealing with major breaches is uh, incredibly stressful. It's in incredibly difficult. I, I, I've had a few personally to, to deal with working with companies who have called us in for incident response type services or just security guidance type services. And there's, there's a lot to cover. Planning those things ahead of time will make response so, so, so much easier. I mentioned the, the ransom specifically uh, increased, so just to, to cover that detail. Um, one of the things that can happen, and I think we'll see more of, certainly in regards to mentioning data being stolen earlier, the attackers um, 
very often, so not specifically for Travelex, although um, a part of this has happened in this case, generically a ransomware attacker could present a ransom, you must pay us $3 million, and then put a time limit on that, so oh, in seven days the ransom will become $6 million, those kinds of things. Um, why, why would an attacker do this? Um, they're, they're trying to increase the pressure, right? They're trying to make it um, so that you'll just pay up, right? That's the whole business model for, for these kinds of attacks. So it's, uh, it's not unusual to see that kind of thing. And it's not unusual, like I said, now we're seeing more examples of it where attackers will, will take data and then, and then say, you know, in seven days, in 14 days, we'll, we'll release this data. So something to be aware of. Um, I am not going to go into the, uh, the ethical, legal or moral decisions around um, paying the ransom. Further than to say, if as an organization, if you are considering paying the ransom, one thing to bear in mind is that there is no guarantee that anything will happen. We've seen that previously. I guess the most extreme example would be the NotPetya attack. It's NotPetya, if you cast your minds back to the middle of uh, 2017. Uh, that attack initially appeared to be ransomware. There was an email, pay the ransom, will un unlock your files. The um, email was taken down very quickly by the provider of the email services, so you wouldn't have been able to um, to pay. Or if you had contacted them to send money, um, they would have lost access to their email, so wouldn't have got those messages anyway. There's, of course, the idea that you pay the attacker and they just take the money and don't recover your services at all. It's incredibly risky. Sending the money doesn't necessarily mean that you'll actually get the service, you'll actually get recovery, those kinds of things. What a lot of people recommend, and they say, oh, you, you shouldn't ever pay the ransom, you should recover from backup. I think that the problem with that when people recommend you should recover from backup, is um, attackers, certainly these these manual attackers where they're breaking in, spending months on a network, and, and then deploying ransomware, can do things like compromising backups. They can do things like waiting until their malware is in the backup if you have a backup rotation. Um, and then it makes recovery far more difficult. Again, it's something that you can plan for. It's something you can plan for ahead of the attack. So... Um, Think through, at least as a tabletop exercise, if not getting security testing capability in to, to test to see if it's demonstrable, um, to, to check that backups can't be interfered with. If attackers could compromise the network, uh, delete, destroy the backups, and then deploy ransomware, recovery becomes way, way harder. So you should be developing these systems not only so that your backups are regular enough that recovery becomes easier, but developed in such a way that it makes it well, hopefully impossible or at least incredibly unlikely that attackers would be able to compromise, delete, destroy the, those backups. Again, another thing that you can plan for now. And, uh, of course, you know, ransomware is not going away. I think that's kind of my uh, my, my uh, parting message for, for any time I, I mention ransomware is Ransomware is not a new threat. It's been around since at, at least 1989. That would be the AIDS Trojan distributed on physical floppy disks. Ransomware is very old. And um, it's not going to go away because because it's effective, because it's having the impact that the attackers want it to. So it's the kind of thing that we need to, we need to take seriously as an organization. We need to take seriously as a community. And I think a part of that should definitely be looking at how ransomware changes over time. Don't see, oh, another company has been hit by ransomware. Well, I know what ransomware is and... I know how it works and that there's nothing for our organization to consider. They, they can develop over time. Things like uh, attackers taking data, things like targeting backups specifically, targeting em certain employees specifically. 
Um, so do keep an eye on it. And um, yeah, sorry to sorry to end on such a depressing message, but um, it's just an important one. You know, travel acts have been down for for a couple of weeks now, and recovering from these things is very very difficult. So to quickly summarize everything I've been ranting about, I think the I think the two main takeaways for for organisations who are worried about ransomware is think of um, how you would run through a response, possibly as a tabletop exercise, but things like. Your PR messages can be planned in advance. In the very least, how you would get those messages out can be planned. And and do beware of things like attackers specifically targeting backups um, so that recovery becomes much harder, putting way more leverage on you. And, uh, and that's it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And I will see you in the next episode. <laughs>